and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. I'm back from my little break, but I'm not with Gab Marcotti. He's in Monaco for the group stage of the Champions League. It really is a hard life for some. And you can hear Gab's reaction to the draw in a special mini podcast coming out on Thursday night. Now in the studio with me today, it is Alison Rudd. Morning. Morning. And also the Times resident stats guru, Mr. Bill Edgar. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very, very well. Now, later on, we'll be turning our attention to Scotland and the most anticipated old firm game in years. But first, Monday night brought more drama surrounding Manchester United and Jose Mourinho. The Portuguese suffered the heaviest home defeat of his managerial career as United lost 3-0 to Tottenham. It's back-to-back defeats for United. They've lost two of their three league games this season. And, and of course, this summer's been dominated by stories of bust-ups between Mourinho and Pogba, and then there was Mourinho and Woodward. So, Alison, what does the future hold? Oh, um, <laughs> I feel mystic alley. The latest development is that Anthony Martial has been offered a lucrative, very long-term contract. And that is significant for two reasons. One is that Martial's agent has made it clear he was unhappy and wanted to leave this summer. And secondly, Mourinho doesn't seem to rate him too highly if you look at the number of times he's started him. So <laughs> it's almost laughable, really. It looks like a power play by Edward Wood to go for this player because it's a statement of what United want from the squad. They want to invest in youth. It's showing a finger to Mourinho, who, as we all know, prefers to buy ready-made players. He would have liked to have done a swap with William, who he knows well from his Chelsea days. William's too old for the Man United model, so they're saying to Mourinho, we're going to buy the players the way we think they should be bought. We're moving ahead on the model of we don't buy in immediate success, we develop it. I just can't see, A, having not had the players he wanted in the summer in the first place, I just cannot see how Mourinho will suddenly turn humble, accept that he has to eat humble pie, and start it, it, it's almost like the first step to Edward Wood picking the team in a sense I think it's quite significant and it points to a schism it points to unless for some reason results rapidly improve there might be a parting of the ways I have to say by the way, you can read all about that uh, new contract for Anthony Martial. Uh, Paul Hurst and James Gearbrandt giving their thoughts on that in today's Times newspaper. Um, we also saw at the end of that game that Mourinho ended his press conference by listing how many Premier League titles he's won and claiming that he deserves more respect. Bill, do you think he does deserve more respect? Um, well, all managers deserve respect in terms of politeness, but in uh but whatever your record is, you, you you have to expect to be questioned. If you're doing badly, then you have to be questioned. Certainly, uh, Alex Ferguson, around 2002, he'd won six or seven titles by then. But he he they had a bad start to the season, and everybody was laying into him. I mean, you know, you just have to expect that. But I mean, Mourinho, like most managers, really wants to protect his reputation. So he's always pointing out uh, any difficulties uh, he's facing. He also likes to just have creative tension in his surroundings. So he criticizes the uh, the media, or authorities, or any player. He just thinks this is the way to 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 go, and it has been very successful for him. As for his dispute with uh, Ed Woodward, yeah, I, I really think United should either just say this is your budget spend what you want we'll see how you do if it's not good enough we'll get rid of you you know they shouldn't just say um you don't want martial but we do so we're going to force him onto you and it, you know it's uh firstly it's not 
I don't really think it's a recipe for success. But secondly, in the case of Mourinho, he's just going to make him more and more annoyed. Over the next few uh, months, he'll be lashing out at uh, Woodward more and more publicly and, and obviously yeah. and eventually and unless they happen to be top of the table uh, he'll be on his way uh, We know Alison that with Marina there's always that sort of third season syndrome let's say um, if he were to leave where do you think United would look for a replacement for him? That's tricky most commentators seem to plump for Zidane partly because he's available <laughs> partly because Zidane has not ruled it out rumours are he'd be interested in the old Trafford job partly because he's perceived to have the sort of stature that that Man United I mean they made you know I think they feel we have to learn from our mistakes when David Moyes he failed partly because he himself didn't quite have the gravitas to take the dressing room with him and chose to try and win the wrong battles there. And if you're um, coming with a very impressive CV, you know, as a player and or as a manager, you can get away with being a bit laissez-faire and being happy to inherit what you've inherited. Managers who have to prove themselves tend to... to, to they just, they just, I don't know why they do this, but they, they sort of, it's, like, it's like the little man syndrome. They just have to try and make changes. So in Moyes' case, he says, stop eating chips, stop eating chips. And everyone just looked at him like, what are you on about? We're allowed to do that. They don't want to make that mistake again. And Zidane ticks that box in terms of the gravitas. And I think probably United, as an organisation, know that the media would love it. I mean, they, I don't think United like this, this current state of affairs with, with the press. It's unedifying. And I, 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 you know, I did a poll of all my colleagues. They would say, oh, we really, really want Zidane here. That would just be brilliant. There were, there were rumours he might go to Chelsea not so long ago and people were getting very excited. So that, that would be tempting. I think it would be a huge risk, personally. Why? I think, I think Zidane, he's been successful at Real Madrid, but they, they, are, they are the ultimate in Galactico. They do buy it in. And there was a particular formula there where Zidane really was appointed because he was seen as the only only person who could who could carry that. There's all sorts of factions and friction when you have a lot of superstars in one place, and he was seen as somebody that could could gel those together. But he's, you know, he's quite he's quiet. He's not. I don't know. Sometimes in the Premier League, you just need. It's so competitive in the Premier League. You need someone who doesn't just G up for the game against Barcelona. You need somebody who can get the players ready for every single match. And this is this is one reason why I think Mourinho might be coming to the end. Is He goes to Brighton. He's lost there before. And he doesn't seem to have the ability to get his players to treat it as a really serious competitive match. And they stro- I was there. They strolled around the pitch. It was ridiculous. So I just don't see how Zidane... I, I can't see him <laughs> inheriting United players, which he'd probably think weren't as good as the ones he'd had at Real, and and then getting them up for for for, for a game against Bournemouth or Brighton or whatever. I don't I don't know. I think United needs somebody with a lot of Premier League experience and a personability to bring the media on board and for it to feel like a, a bright new dawn rather than some sort of posh experiment. Hmm. I think we should be careful not to overstate Manchester United's decline because uh, Mourinho and his 
two years at United, he's, he has improved them a fair bit. I and mean, they really hit a low with Moyes and then Van Gaal. But he's, he's taken them up. He got 81 points last season. That's a decent haul. He's won three cups in two seasons. OK, he's had a bad start. But it's only three games. So, it, so overall, he's kind of it's fine. You know, there's nothing special, but fine. It's OK. But uh, the big thing with Mourinho for me is... Firstly, the, the, his, his his character after what he did with the the Chelsea doctor. I mean, that was just outrageous, and really, you know, it's hard to justify employing him based on what happened there. But also, um, just the style of football. I mean, under Ferguson, it was generally it was quite entertaining. Now, Moyes, they were dull. Van Hal, they were dull. And now Mourinho, they're dull. They've, into the sixth season, they're the, the, the most dull of the big six teams, you know, and, and despite their, their tradition. So surely United will, uh, you, know, you know, if and when Mourinho goes, you know, you have to hope that they would at least find a manager who's prepared to play at least kind of reasonably expansive football. Well, it is at Burnley for United on Sunday. They head to turf more. Uh, Burnley themselves have also lost their last two uh, in the Premier League and it's not the easiest place to go to under these uh, circumstances, Alison. No, no, I mean, you know, Sean Dyche, he's he's good at lots of things but one of the things he's good at is picking up on the weaknesses of the opposition because, as he will tell you, every time he speaks he has to deal with the reality of his budget (laughs) and the reality of who he's up against and he will see... He's facing a team, you know, he can't compete with them on any level financially, caps, reputation, so on. But what he can compete with them on is that they are, they are a club that are fully behind their own manager. They've succeeded to the point that they've probably succeeded too far and they might, they might find the Europa League too, you know, stretching their resources. And he'll be really irritated that what everyone said might happen does appear to be happening. Although I'm speaking um, ahead of their the game against Olympiacos and hopefully they'll still be in the competition and they'll find a way of navigating it but yes what Burnley will have that United don't have he will he will exploit to its fullest and also he's under no pressure at all to play prettily against the big clubs the fans will be perfectly happy if it's it's a scrappy 1-0 win for the for the home team and no pressure on him for it to be anything else whereas if it's a scrappy 1-0 win for Mourinho it won't stem the tide of criticism I just really want to emphasise Martial accepting this new deal. Everyone at United knows if he accepts it, it's the player saying, I know I won't have to put up with Mourinho for much longer. I mean, talk about fans hiring banners to fly over stadiums to make the point. This is bigger than hiring 18 helicopters. It's saying we're thinking beyond Mourinho now. Mm. You mentioned... Uh, that those banners that are, are planned to be flown over turf more uh, anti-glazer anti-woodwood banner the fans are not happy with what they're seeing on the pitch they're obviously not happy with what they're seeing off the pitch Bill it's just not a very stable time at the moment at United no it really isn't um, it's a slightly chaotic post-World Cup as with um, uh, several clubs and players coming back sort of late for pre-season and just looking at the the team selection, uh, having United's last two games, they've started with five different centre backs. You know, two by and Lindelof, and then the next game, Smalling, Jones, and and Herrera. So I mean, just that on its own, uh, it kind of tells you something about the chaos of. And it wasn't injuries to Lindelof and by that forced them out of the team. So that tells you alone something of the chaos at United. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our statsman Bill Edgar, who is sat opposite me today, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here's a bonus teaser for you on this podcast. How many clubs have played in both the top flight and the fourth tier since 1987? Bill, you always do it to us. You stump us. But you don't have long to wait for the answer. Just stick around until the end of this podcast. Now, the other side of the story from Old Trafford on Monday was, of course, Tottenham. Three wins out of three this season, a 100% record, despite Spurs being the only Premier League club not to sign a single player this summer. And Matthew Side has written about this for The Times, the idea that uh, continuity has been Tottenham's biggest strength as it forces Maurizio Pochettino to develop the players he has. And Alison, Pochettino's certainly done a good job of improving the players at Tottenham. Yeah, he prides himself on that, actually. It's his thing, which is why he's another name in the frame for the United job, I think. Um, not just because he's the opposite of Mourinho and that he's terribly avuncular and smiley and passionate most of the time, but he, he likes to play with young players rather than buy them in, and Spurs did not buy in anybody this time around. There are two ways of looking at it, actually. Ironically, if Daniel Levy had done some last-minute deals which he's what we were all expecting um you know he likes to wait till the very last minute and get a bargain (laughs) if he'd done that and Spurs had bolstered their squad that would have been worse for Spurs than the current situation where they didn't bolster them at all because I think one of the excuses that Pochettino used for for falling away last season was that the players they bought in August last August Aurier 
Lorente were among those. In December, he was saying, look, we just we just signed them too late. I don't feel they had any pre-season with us. Well, they didn't. They had no pre-season with us. It's been very hard to integrate them, get to know them, for them to get to know our style of play. And it's held us back. Whereas <laughs> this time around, he doesn't have to worry about integrating anyone new. He can just go with what he knows. And what he knows is a very, very good squad of players who have, have come really close under him to, to winning something. But I would argue, whilst that is an advantage in the short term, part of the reason why you buy in someone new, um, and if Spurs were going to do it for the reasons I've just said, they should have done it much earlier in the summer rather than it be a last-minute deal, is that it makes who you have feel just a little insecure if there's a danger at Spurs, it's that they all sort of, they sort of roughly know their place in the team. They know that what their relationship with Pochettino is like. They know what they can get away with. And I kind of feel, if there's no one new there to make them feel a little on their toes, complacency could creep in. Not deliberate, not deliberate taking it, anything for granted. It's just a natural thing that happens. So, and also you get, if he has um, any injuries or suspension issues, he might start to think, oh, I could have, you know, I could have done with springing in. And the third thing is, actually, what do Spurs need? They could probably do with some players with the experience of winning in the Premier League. Somebody who, who knows how to get you over the line. As it is, they, they didn't bring anybody in. But for you, Bill, was it more important that Spurs kept hold of the players they had and also sign them up to long-term deals rather than add to the squad? I think so, because Pochettino's had worked out a, a squad that really, and a team that really gels well. They all, all know their place. So I think it was very important to, to keep them all. So, um, so yeah, they've done that. I mean, there, there is one sort of new player in Lucas Moore. He was only signed last January, only made two league starts last season. So he's come in and done quite well. So sort of a fresh face, although, you know, he, he does know the system. He's been around for several months, so he's not new to the club. One thing Tottenham will be hoping is, uh, particularly this weekend, even though they're playing Watford, almost the biggest game is uh, the Asian Cup final with uh, yeah. where Son Heung-min is playing for South Korea. If, if they can win that, he'll be excused uh, his uh, 18 months or so of military service for South Korea, which would come in the middle of a five-year Tottenham contract. So uh, they'll be desperate for that to happen. But, I mean, in terms of, is it a good a good thing to... Uh, just keep the same players, not bring anybody else in. I mean, you've just sort of looked back over past champions over the past 20 years or so. There's no hard and fast rule. Some uh, years, um, you look at Mourinho's first year at Chelsea, 2004-05, he brought in six players who made at least 10 league starts that season, who had signed at the start of that season. So six new players who were made a reasonable contribution on the other hand there's quite a lot of cases of just one player doing so um there was a uh, Yuri Jerkov uh, for Chelsea in 2010. There was uh, Michael Carrick for Manchester United in 2007. Jens Lehmann was the only one of Arsenal's invincibles who'd, who'd been signed, who, who made t- 10 league starts or more. So it, it varies. In fact, you, you have to go back, though, to 1995-96, uh, the year when Manchester United had uh, sold Ince, Kanchelskis and Hughes and not replaced them with any new players other than uh, players who'd come up through the youth system so they had no new players who made uh, 10 league starts or more that season and they won the title in 96 that's the last case uh, of that happening so if Tottenham have 
pretensions of winning the title this season and that's the example they need to follow. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned of course they take on Watford on Sunday, they do travel to Vicarage Road to take on another team with a 100% record so far. Um, Alison, the Hornets usually like an overhaul when it comes to summer transfer window but not so much this time around. Yeah, I was surprised because I was at the game where they tore apart Chelsea towards the end of um, last season one of Gracia's first games in charge. And although there were quite a few late goals in that game, I mean, they were a joy to behold. It was free-flowing, attacking, just go for it sort of football. It was it was a pleasure to watch. But almost after that, not, I mean, there isn't a, it wasn't a straight curve down, but they just sort of looked a bit lethargic sometimes, as if, as if just being safe was all that mattered. And I thought, well, you know, he's, he's not really building. He's not really building. He's just sort of doing enough. Maybe he won't last the summer. But I can only assume he made a very good case for how he needed um, a whole pre-season with his players. And he would he would get them firing and he knew what to do. Now he got to grips with the Premier League. The owners listened to him. Said, all right, prove it. Maybe they even felt that, you know, around the, the training camp, things were, were looking good. Also, they may have they may have been really happy to make that money on Richarlison and to have a manager that didn't moan about it. That's probably significant as well. And they have I will I will hold my hands up. And but a lot of a lot of uh, commentators in the same boat. They they expected something really quite dull and sluggish from from Watford. But they look they look like um they look like a team with a new manager and some new players. It's it's mm. strange. They must have had a really positive preseason. And I think that probably stems from a manager. Who did come in cold, if you like, and made the case that he he has what it takes in pre-season to, to gel a team. And he's proved that, so far at least, he can do that. Yeah, like you say, they retained the manager, Javi Garcia. And with the exception of Ben Foster in goal, all their starters in the Premier League this season were at the club last season. And they're enjoying their best ever start to a Premier League campaign. Is that a coincidence, Bill? <laughs> uh, oh, it's hard to tell. I mean, for the last three seasons, they've they've... They've started well every time up to around uh, November, December, then fallen away a bit, but haven't really been in realistic danger of relegation. So it's uh, almost uh, the, the quick fix team. They, they they have thrived off huge change and there's a uh, it's given them great impetus. And then suddenly when they achieve their goal of avoiding relegation, it kind of it tails off and then usually a new manager comes in. But yes, as you say, Gracia, they've actually stuck with... Uh, Javi Gracia, who came in, replaced Marco Silva around December, January time. And um, and it started well. I, I, I like the way Troy Deeney is playing, actually, this season. I think he looks really good. He's a, he, he's kind of Technically, he's not, a, he's not an amazing player, but he just looks so intelligent. He's one of those players who just does the right thing almost every time. And he's not flustered at all. And, he, and he's really, having, really doing well in this uh, system of two up front alongside Andre Gray. Um, so I think he's been a, a key figure for them. They'll be up against Tottenham. Um, you wouldn't have thought uh, Watford Tottenham would be a, a top of the table clash, 100% clash. But you mentioned Ben Foster, Natalie. I mean, he, he was really the reason they got three points against Crystal Palace. He was extremely good. I think he's quite an underrated keeper, actually. Mm. So it's a, it's a significant change. 
Scotland, Celtic have won the last seven premierships, but the appointment of Stephen Gerrard as the Rangers manager in the summer has added real intrigue to the title race. The first old firm derby of the season takes place this Sunday at Celtic Park, and we're joined now by the Scottish football correspondent for the Times, Michael Grant. Uh, Michael, morning to you. All the focus really is on the managers, not just Gerrard, but Brendan Rodgers as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Brendan Rodgers was talking during the week, saying it's not about me and uh, Stevie. And I, I think uh, I think we all know that that's uh, pretty far from the truth. We, we we don't really do things like that up here. It's, we personalise things and we hold up the managers to great scrutiny, especially at the moment when it's Gerard. Every old firm game brings Scotland to a bit of a standstill. But I think. I think this one really is one of the more keenly anticipated in recent years, just because it does look like Gerard um, uh, is emerging as a manager of some substance already, and and has had a very good, very good start to his life at Rangers. Albeit it could change in a few hours; they could get knocked out of Europe this afternoon. You know, so it's uh, it, it's, it's, it's it can balance on a knife edge, but so far it's been it's been pretty solid from Gerard. Honestly, I'm dying to know, Michael. You said that Stephen Gerrard is proving to be a manager of some substance. Can you illustrate to me something he's done where you thought, oh, that is interesting. He's showing a bit of you know, intuition and nous and it seems seems more experienced than, a, than he has every right to appear. He, he, he has just spoken really calmly, Ali, um, since he came up here because there have been a couple of games, especially in the Europa League campaigns, when they were under a bit of pressure and they could have gone out early, and, and that, would have, that would have created a cons- an immediate kind of noise around Ibrox. He has just come across very calm and assured. Now, I mean, you might think, well, that's not a surprise given his background, and uh, you know, he comes across to us or to me anyway as a guy who looks very comfortable with the media. He's clearly media trained. You know, you can sense that this is a guy who's who's comfortable around a big club. He's also had the kind of responsibilities of, of, of playing with England and being seen as a senior figure with them. So I've just been impressed by how calmly he's spoken to us. He's, he's been quite calm also after the after the good results. I mean, the last couple of Rangers managers tended to get very excited and uh, make quite uh, bold claims about their team and, and where they were heading. And we've not seen that from Gerard. It's very early days. You know, he's only had 11 games. But uh, they're still unbeaten, and you know I, he looks to have made good signings to me, or, or enough good signings to have improved the team. And it's also to his credit that they, they seem to be playing with a lot of energy and and belief and purpose. And you know that's that's pretty impressive, given that he's he's on the brink today of signing, I think, a fourteenth player this. This summer, so there's been a there's been a huge turnaround in in the in the squad, but you know so far they have looked uh, pretty convincing. It will change if they were to lose at uh, at Parkhead. Yeah, that turnaround doesn't seem to have uh, a number of players. I, sh- I should say doesn't seem to have affected what's happened at, at Rangers, Michael. But let's focus on Celtic. They've been knocked out of the Champions League in the qualifying round. They were beaten by Hearts in the league a few weeks ago as well. Uh, is there a sense that Rodgers and Celtic are, are vulnerable this season? Yeah, yeah, there is. To be honest, um, they've had a pretty dreadful summer, uh, a pretty dreadful transfer window. Um, they are weaker now than they were at the end of the season and Brendan Rodgers has said they're weaker than they were a, 
a year ago. There's a lot of unrest around the club. Brendan Rodgers himself had a couple of veiled digs at the board for not getting deals done that he, you know, on players that he wanted to sign. John McGinn, the Scotland international midfielder, was one that they wanted, but they were beaten to the punch by Aston Villa. Now, that has caused a great deal of kind of uh, consternation around Celtic because John McGinn's a big Celtic supporter. If they had gone in early in the transfer window, they would have got him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But they procrastinated and they were a bit complacent and they thought, oh, well, we'll get him. Nobody else is coming in. And then suddenly Aston Villa came in and were able to uh, do a deal with Hibs and pay him a big wage. So suddenly, uh, you know, they've lost out on a transfer target. Dedrick Boyata, the Belgian international centre-half, has suddenly caused a, a kind of uproar around the club because his agent said that um, they wanted to sell him to Fulham. Uh, Celtic blocked that deal. So suddenly, Boyata refused to play in a couple of the key European games. He's back in the side at the moment, but there's a huge uncertainty about whether he will stay. Brendan Rodgers has had to try and manage that and, and soften the idea of that being a crisis. And in the last 24 hours, we're into a kind of similar situation with Moussa Dembele, the striker. Leon are in for him for between 15 and 20 million pounds. He wants to go. Celtic are holding out. So we don't know if Dembele will play in the Europa League playoff tonight against Sudova. And of course, we don't know if he'll still be a Celtic player in, uh, in by Sunday in the Old Firm game. So all of that, you know, uncertainty over Olivier and Cham as well, the midfielder, Porto want him. There is a real feeling that um, not getting into the Champions League group stage this season has caused repercussions for Celtic because there are players around the club who might not be as enthusiastic about being at Celtic when they're in the Europa League. Michael, I, I, my, um, my take on this, and I... I bow to your superior knowledge and I'm really interested in how you react. But I, I get a sense that Brendan Rodgers really thought he was going to get poached by a club that would constitute promotion in his eyes. And he's still there. And I don't think he was expecting to be there. And I don't think he's got quite the energy for it that he had when he first came to Scotland. Is that a ridiculous no, no, it's not, Alison. I mean, I think being around him, I mean, obviously he's never going to say anything like that. But, yeah, he doesn't seem to me like the kind of full beam Brendan Rodgers that, that we've had for the first couple of seasons. He has looked like he's been under a bit of a cloud and just hasn't got the same kind of effervescence about him. Now, that's, you know, people will say, oh, well, that's because Stephen Gerrard's arrived and rattled him and all the rest of it. Well, OK, maybe Rangers are going to be a more substantial force this season, but I think it's more internal. I think um, he's looking at the the potential breakup of of the squad and not being able to land the quality of um, replacements that that he wants. Now, I mean, he set the bar so incredibly high in the first couple of seasons. You know, first season they won the treble unbeaten domestically. Second season they defended, they won all three trophies again. It's never been done before in Scottish football. But more than that, they qualified for the Champions League group stage twice, which brings in thirty million pounds a year to Celtic, you know, when, when there's there's no T V money up here to speak about. So that's as good as it can get for Celtic, you know, and already this season I mean the season hardly feels a few weeks old, but they've taken a massive step backwards because they're not going to be in the Champions League group stage. You know, we often speculate about how long Brendan Rodgers is going to be here. The Celtic fans sing about him being here for ten in a row. 
which, if my arithmetic's right, is another three full seasons. I can't see it. I can't see him being here that long. Michael, Celtic have six points from nine. Rangers have five points from nine. Just how pivotal is Sunday's game going to be to this season? Yeah, well, it'll, it'll entirely shape uh, the perception of of whether the gap has been closed between the two clubs and you know whether whether Gerard is going to be the real deal or not, or whether this is another kind of false dawn for Rangers. I mean, the two clubs up here, their fans are incredible for kind of getting carried away with them, with their team and, and losing a sense of perspective about how good they are. You know, it doesn't take much for momentum to just explode around either of them. And I think if Rangers get a draw, that's progress after several defeats and heavy defeats last season. If they get a win, that is a really eye-opening result and statement. If Celtic turn up and, and, their, and their, their best players perform, middle front especially, then I think they'll win. Um, but I think for the first time in a while, there is real doubt about this one. There is real doubt that maybe even if Celtic turn up and deliver a performance, maybe they still won't find a way through. The first Old Firm game of the season is always the one that's really keenly anticipated because you have new signings, you have new managers, and people judge them against uh, the other half of the old firm more than they do in any other game. And before you go, Michael, we should probably talk about another team, Hearts. They are top of the table, three wins out of three. So do they deserve to be discussed in the title race? Yeah, absolutely. Because one of those games was a defeat of Celtic at Tynecastle. And I was at that game. And and Hearts at Tynecastle, I'm sure Ali's been there uh, at some point over the years. I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant, football ground, it's about 20,000 it's packed, steep-sided, close to the pitch, and Hearts are a formidable team there in, in Scotland, you know, and uh, they had too much for Celtic that day so, I, I, you know, Hearts will always pick up a lot of points at home I don't think they have the quality to kind of last the distance, um, or probably they will get sucked into a battle with Hibs and, and Aberdeen for sort of best of the rest. I suspect this season there's going to be enough about Rangers to to pull clear and be the the, the strongest challenger to Celtic. But, of course, Craig Levine, the Hearts manager, was uh, taken into hospital this week with a, a heart problem. I think he's recovering well. I exchanged texts with him last night, which sounded pretty encouraging. He's hoping to be back in the dugout after the international break. So that that's a kind of little sobering kind of uh, episode for Hearts. But yeah, yeah, Hearts are, are strong and, and, you know, big support again. And, and they are a sign of the kind of health that they gave up here, actually. Um, but no, I, to answer your question, I don't think they'll last the course in that sense, but they're going to be a formidable team to play at Tynecastle. Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, which is, of course, the Times' Fantasy Football Tips service. I'm Charlie Scott, and as ever, I'm joined by Paddy Bear. Hello. And we're here to discuss our tips for this weekend's fixtures and beyond. One thing that Paddy and I have both been looking at this week, and Paddy actually has just revealed he's managed to get Eden Hazard into his fantasy team, which I'm very jealous about, is Chelsea and Eden Hazard, who has looked brilliant this season. He, he was rested in the first couple of games, so only played, I think, 14 minutes, 29 minutes, got an assist in each of those, and then first start against Newcastle last week scored and looks like he could 
go big in the next few weeks. What do you think, Paddy? Yeah, Maurizio Sarri has been talking about him as one of the best players in the world. He's obviously trying to fill him with a bit of confidence. He started well. It bodes well. Their fixtures are nice. I think it's worth having a Chelsea player for the next couple of weeks, and that should probably be either him or Marcus Alonso. What about Spurs? Um, last week we saw Mitrovic and Lucas Moura were the two best players in terms of points scored. Moura after scoring twice against United. Is, does he take your fancy? Oh, it's, it's a bit tempting. Uh, I got a kind of Moura-valued player last week in Mkhitaryan. Mm. Um, yeah, Moura is much better value at the moment than Dele Alli and Christian Eriksen, certainly. But I would be slightly concerned about Son's imminent return from international duty, where hopefully he avoids national service by yes. winning the Asian Cup. Um, when Son comes back, that's going to put Moura's place in the team under pressure, I think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. They're also... Next couple of games quite tough, Watford and then Liverpool. After that, they've got three or four good games before they play City. I think I will wait before investing too much in Spurs. I think there's a lot of wild cards being played this week. Um, I would probably recommend waiting until next week if you can, when you've got the international break and a bit more time to tinker. Um, but if you've pulled the trigger, then yeah, best of luck and, and see if you can get Kane in there because he's going to come good at some point. Definitely, definitely. And just looking ahead, so we've spoken about Arsenal recently. Their, their run hasn't really changed. They didn't do much against West Ham in terms of their big names scoring points, but they've still got that good run. I bought McTyron in and Monreal. I think I, I'm not going to go any further than that, but anyone else in that team that... Uh, no, that's probably about it. Maybe Bellerin, the fullbacks look good. Um, I quite like Everton, though. They've got Huddersfield and West Ham, the next two, the two leakiest defences in the league by the looks of it. Um, and uh, Walcott's probably a nice straight swap for Richarlison, and I'm still banging the Cenk Toshin drum. <laughs> you love Cenk Toshin. So, yeah, if you want more of Paddy and my wisdom, then head over to the Facebook page where you can throw in your teams and we can comment and there's, yeah there's lots of chat going on in there so just search for the sweeper on facebook and of course sign up for our weekly email which comes out every friday morning by going to the times.co.uk forward slash fantasy football or just click on the link in the description for this podcast Okay, it's time now for me to take on Gab Marcotti in our weekly predictions. We take five games from this forthcoming weekend and see who can most accurately predict the scores. Now, last week was a draw between Gab and I. This was after Gab was victorious in week one, thanks to a last-minute Kennedy penalty miss against Cardiff. Thanks for that, Kennedy. Um, now, Gab may be in Monaco for the Champions League draw, but he's taken time out from the boats and the billionaires and the champagne to file his predictions. So, Gab, it's over to you. Greetings from the uh, beach here in uh, Monaco. And uh, time for some predictions, I think. So, Natalie, I got Chelsea beating Bournemouth 2-0, making it 4 for 4. Um, I think Chelsea are just going to improve as the season wears on, especially if, uh, if Morata snaps out of it. I have West Ham... Uh, winning against Wolves 2-1 last week's uh, performance notwithstanding I think West Ham played a lot better against Arsenal than they have been and at some point they got to start winning right? City and Newcastle I have 1-0 to City I'm imagining another mega Catenaccio from uh, Rafa although that said it's the kind of game where if City score first uh, this one could get really ugly really quickly the posh against Donny I'm going 1-1 my man Grant McCann going and getting a draw away to the league leaders and Stuttgart against Bayern München I think Bayern are going to have some issues this year but I don't think it's going to be in this game Bayern for a 2-0 win 
OK, Gab, thanks for rubbing it in that you're in Monaco, you're on the beach and having a lot of fun. Um, interesting your predictions there, Gab, because actually there are some similarities between what you've gone for and what I've gone for. So at Chelsea, I too have said that uh, Chelsea will win 2-0 against Bournemouth. I think they'll continue that uh, winning start. As for West Ham, they only won for the first time this season at AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup. But I think life is going to get a little bit tough for them still. I don't think they're going to win against Wolves. Wolves playing some really good football at the moment. I think that is actually going to be a draw, 1-1. I think having been at uh, Nottingham Forest last night to see a much-changed Newcastle side lose uh, in the League Cup, I still can't see them doing anything against Manchester City. And I think they're going to get thumped 3-0. And 3-0 is the scoreline. I've gone for Peterborough against Doncaster. Peterborough hammered Plymouth last weekend 5-1 and Doncaster haven't won in three in the league and I just can't see Grant McCann inspiring Rovers against his former club. And like you, I too have gone for a Bayern Munich win over Stuttgart. And like you, Gab, I've gone for a 2-0 win. I don't think Mario Gomez is going to score for Stuttgart in this one. So those are my predictions. Let's see how we get on. Okay, it's just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's teaser. We asked you how many clubs have played in both the top flight and the fourth tier since 1987. And the answer is 20. Bill, we're not going to list all of them, but seven of those are currently in the Premier League, aren't they? There are. The seven are Bournemouth, Brighton, Burnley, Cardiff, Fulham, Huddersfield and Wolves. I was quite surprised there as many as 20. It does show mm. the fluidity of... Uh, clubs it does show what's what's possible in football you can some uh, suffer the calamity of collapse and others uh, climb all the way up to the top mm, very much so yeah uh, that is it for now many thanks to my guests today Alison Rudd Bill Edgar and Michael Grant uh, remember you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for only eight pounds for eight weeks search the Times subscription for more information we'll be back on Monday but before then stay tuned for a quick hit from Gab Marcotti this Thursday night as he reacts to the Champions League group stage draw. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.